Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to Leviticus chapter 14. There was no cure for serious leprosy, for what we call leprosy. In chapter 13, we observed the detailed process that the priest physicians of Israel would go through to ensure that no one with a lesser skin condition, such as an infected burn or a case of psoriasis, would ever be wrongly diagnosed with leprosy, because such a diagnosis would be, in effect, a death sentence. It would mean living the rest of your life in a sort of purgatory, outside the camp, away from all human fellowship, away from God. It was an apt symbol for hell, because it was a sort of living hell. Leprosy didn't go away. It just slowly but surely ate away at you until finally you died and your earthly trial was ended. So if a person was healed, it was obviously a momentous occasion. R.K. Harrison says here, The occasion on which a person was cured from a malignant form of tzahara'at, which is the Hebrew word for leprosy, was of considerable significance. It marked his unexpected restoration to fellowship with his family and the community as a whole and brought him back into a relationship with God's sanctuary. The outcast was now able to pick up the threads of his earlier existence, having been admitted formally to the congregation of Israel. The seriousness of the disease and the marvel of the healing were reflected in the cleansing ceremonies, which were elaborate and of a deeply spiritual nature, closed quote. So we are reading the details here, the blueprint of a personal religious festival. This is a big deal. If being diagnosed with leprosy was like going to hell, then being healed was like going to heaven. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Let's just pause briefly here to notice that the ceremony begins outside the camp. The main concern behind all of these rituals is to preserve the holiness of the camp. God is living at the center of the camp, so everything unclean has to be kept outside. So the priest is told that a leper has been healed. The priest goes to him and conducts an examination. The second half of verse 3 says, Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. 
and after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. All right, so as stated above, this is a fairly elaborate ritual that draws upon elements associated with the Day of Atonement, the consecration of priests, and the sacrificial system as a whole. The main elements here in this first part are the two birds, a cedar stick, a hyssop branch, and a piece of crimson cloth. The first bird is slaughtered over running water so that the blood spilled that isn't captured can run down into the earth. The live bird and all the other accoutrements are dipped in the blood from the slain bird. The live bird that has been covered in the blood of the other bird is then released as a symbolic way of showing that the sin and the stain have been removed. Similar, of course, to the symbolism employed in the Day of Atonement rituals. Then the individual is sprinkled with the blood of the bird, which indicated that the individual was clean and ready to rejoin the worshiping community. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary says here, The bird's blood, when sprinkled on the individual undergoing the rite, identified him once again with the community and was therefore symbolic of his restoration to fellowship. In precisely the same manner, the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross reconciles man to God and makes it possible for the sinner to rejoin the household of faith. The bird's death also served as a graphic reminder of the fate that would have overtaken the former leper if the Lord, the supreme and only healer of Israel, had not intervened and restored him to health." After that, the individual would wash himself and his clothes and shave off his hair and beard, and he was then permitted to re-enter the camp, though he had to remain outside of his own house for seven days. On the seventh day, he would bathe and shave again and then be considered totally clean. That takes us to the eighth day, the day when he is permitted to enter the tent of meeting and rejoin the worshiping community. We begin to read about that in verse 10. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. Here we see the restored individual participating in the full range of tabernacle sacrifices. He brings two male sheep and one ewe lamb. The one male sheep would be used as a guilt offering, the other as a burnt offering, and then the ewe lamb would be used for a sin offering. Now, obviously, these would have to be provided by his family. If he had been living as a leper outside the camp for any number of years, obviously he wouldn't have access to these things. So this is a celebration and a ceremony that involves his entire support group. Verse 14. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering 
and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil, and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. These rituals, along with the bathing and clothing rituals described earlier, recall some of the rituals associated with the ordination of the priesthood, which makes sense because the nation as a whole is a sort of priesthood, and each member of the worshiping community is, in some sense, ordained to that sacred calling. So this poor brother is not just being restored to some sort of secondary status. He is now part of the holy nation, part of that kingdom of priests described back in Exodus 19, verse 21. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil, also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering, and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. As always, we see allowance being made for people of lesser means. Verses 21 to 32 repeat the rituals described earlier, this time substituting birds for animals. Verse 24. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his left hand, and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, along with a grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for him in whom is a case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. All of this marvelous and elaborate content lies behind those glorious New Testament stories that we love, such as the one told in Matthew 8, verses 2 to 4, which says, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. 
and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Close quote. Offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them, which means that the healed leper went and did all of what we've just been reading about. He showed himself to the priest. He was sprinkled with the blood of a bird. He bathed, he shaved, he washed his clothes. He went to his house. He camped outside, but he went to his house. He was reunited with his family. And seven days later, he went into the temple and drew near unto God. He was restored all by a touch from Jesus Christ which, of course, was intended to point him forward to the greater touch from Jesus Christ and the greater sprinkling of blood that would cleanse, heal, and restore him body and soul. Thanks be to God. In verses 33 to 53, we meet some instructions as to how to deal with Tzara'at in building stones. Again, this seems odd to us, uh, but all creeping infections were treated under the same symbolic rubric. Verse 33, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all round and the plaster that they scrape off, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. So again, we see the same basic procedure. There is an initial observation against some sort of established diagnostic framework. There is a quarantine imposed, followed by a subsequent evaluation to determine if there has been any spread. If there has been, then there is a further process to be undertaken. If the affected stones can be removed, then they are removed and the clean stones inserted in their place. Verse 43. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. So if removing the affected stones doesn't contain the disease, then the house itself must be destroyed and carried away into a sort of exile outside the camp 
and anyone who has had contact with the house needs to undergo a thorough cleansing. Verse 48. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the fresh water, and with the live bird, and with the cedar wood, and hyssop, and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. Here we see that the salvation of a house is cause for rejoicing as well, and a similar though smaller ritual is invoked to celebrate God's blessing and kindness. Verse 54, this is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. These verses obviously function as a sort of bookend for this entire section. This is how you deal with any case of leprous disease, whether in the skin, on a garment, or in a stone. The process and the symbolism is the same. They are all taken seriously because holiness and purity matter for the people of God. Physical purity matters and spiritual purity matters. And the former suggests principles and patterns that apply to the latter, the good news is that the Lord provides a way for his people to attend to both. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.